you again and again and again. Awesome worship team. We're so grateful for them, aren't we? We can send the presence of God, sense God among us. So I told you last week that Edwin, the guy who manages all the water projects in Africa, and we've known him forever, his wife was in a car accident, so she went in to have uh, the hospital have some tests done, and they found a tumor. So we want to keep her on our list, right? And we got a long list, and we met last Thursday night for a big prayer meeting, which is awesome. We want to keep praying for that. And uh, they were able to withdraw the funds for sending Pastor Paul to driving school. That's going to change his life and really make a huge difference there. And I said they, they're going to paint the truck and put the slab in for the bloom box. Now, the bloom box is technology center. I showed you some pictures last week about that, which is to say, if you didn't see it, you can check it on the website, breakwaterembassy.org. And you can go back and watch previous uh, lessons if you're trying to follow along with this. These things build. If you missed a couple, you can go back and pick them up. I like to just turn it on, listen to music, and listen to the sermon. And <clears throat> you don't even have to watch it. You can just turn it on and listen to it. Or you can just fast forward and get right to the sermon if you like, or just listen to music. That's the advantage of the technology we have. So it's really a great thing. So the bloom box was going to go from Canada to Hong Kong to Mozambique to Blantyre, but now they've had a, a route change. They're going to go through Panama, the Bahamas, somewhere else, and the Durban. And so we need that thing to get there safely and securely as an anointed object from God. So we really want to pray for that. So let's just do that right now, shall we? Father, we, we join our voices together. We know that you're a miracle-working God. We want to lift up Tracy right now, Lord, and the many people that we've been praying for, Lord. You know who they are. Uh, we also want to just lift up this bloom box, Jesus. We want it to be sacred unto you and holy, Lord, untouchable, Lord, that it would make it through all the transitions and customs and waters and oceans and storms and be a blessing, Lord. This is a blessing. You told us to be a blessing to the nations, and, Lord, we want to do that. We want to be that blessing. And so, Lord, we commit that to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Keep praying for that until it gets there. And then we need the <clears throat> foundation built, which they're going to do. And hopefully we'll be able to get there. Like I said, it was, it was so cool because we're reading this little scripture there in 1 Corinthians 16 where it just talks about taking a collection and sending it off to brothers in need. And Paul says, if need be, I'll take it there myself. So uh, I think the work that we're doing is apostolic work and building the church and collecting funds and investing in the kingdom of God. That's the most important thing we can be doing with our money. What do you say? <laughs> investing in the kingdom of God, building a church that will last forever over there. So we're seeing tremendous uh, growth over there. And again, with little Andrew wants to church plant. So we're excited about that. Also excited about the fact that we're making our way through the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Hopefully we're going to make it all the way to verse 11, the Babylonian capti captivity. There it is. Looks like Mark Dong, doesn't it? <laughs> now there's two major historical events that form a backdrop for the teachings of Jesus Christ in the New Testament. The first one is the fall and exile of Samaria 
in 722 B.C., okay? The second one is the fall and exile of Judah in 586 B.C. Both of these evictions from the promised land were clearly spelled out in the lease agreement known as the Sinai Covenant, right? If you ever, ever, ever enter a lease agreement with somebody... There's stipulations. You must respect the property. You can't have wild parties. You can't destroy things. You got to pay rent on time, and you've got, and you don't own it, right? So in the Sinai Covenant, part of which they got the Ten Commandments, the people of Israel entered into an agreement with God that they were going to obey his commandments, and there are two sides to it. There was the blessing side, and there was the not-so-blessing side. Are you with me? He says, you, you obey me, everything in your life will go great. Goings and comings, blessings. You disobey me, and you get out from under my protection, then you fend for yourself. And the end of that is not good. And eventually, he says, I will evict you from the land. So... Those two evictions that happened in the northern kingdom of Samaria, 722 B.C., the southern kingdom of Judah, 586, were both fulfillments of the covenant of the law. Okay? So we're looking through the genealogy, and it's pretty amazing, really. We looked at Solomon. He went from goat to goof, just horrible ending in his life. And then under his son, Rehoboam, the kingdom split. So what I did was I just took the names out just so you could see them. Solomon's about 950 B.C. or so. And then the, the split occurred under Rehoboam. There was a populist movement. He tried to increase taxes. Can you, can you imagine that 3,000 years ago they were concerned about the raising of taxes? And so it led to a populist revolt, and there was a split in the kingdom. So this now, this list of kings... It gets us down to verse 11 in the exile to Babylon. It's about 340-some years. There's only five kings that are any good in this. And, huh? Yeah, not too many, which is amazing. Because then, then on the uh, other side of the split kingdom, this is the unified kingdom here. So <clears throat> just some dates you can look at you have. If you're on my email list, I've sent this to you. You can have it. Uh, David's like about 1,000 B.C. That's where I put him. Solomon, he's like in between like 950 or so. And then under Rehoboam, the kingdom splits into two. So then what you have is what is called the kingdom of Israel in the north, which is the ten tribes. And then in the south, you have the kingdom of Judah, which is two tribes, some of the Levites, and where they're smattering of people migrated down from the north. Let's move my teleprompter. So as I said, there was a civil war after the death of King Solomon, a split in the kingdom. Uh, he, uh, Rehoboam refused to lighten the, the tax burden, and the ten tribes broke away and, and formed their own dynasty. So you had... These two separate kingdoms now in the south, uh, begun by Rehoboam, 
So he said two tribes, ten tribes in the north. So this is important that you understand from, from this that eventually the northern kingdom is going to be evicted from that portion. Okay? So for the first 60 years, they tried, uh, the kings of Judah tried to reunite the, the kingdom, but it didn't work. The capital city of the northern kingdom is Samaria. Okay? Yeah. So Samaria was where the kings of Israel lived. They had a temple there. <clears throat> and so the cities of Samaria refer to the ten tribes. So from this time of the split until the eviction and the captivity is about 200 years. So after the split, for about 200 years, Samaria continued to be the capital of the northern kingdom. And during that entire time, Samaria was the capital city of idolatry. There wasn't one good king out of the 20 that they had there, not one righteous king. So God sent prophet after prophet, and he also sent them warning after warning. They were sieged a couple of times by the Syrians. And on both occasions, the sieges didn't bring about repentance. They refused to listen to the prophets. Hosea, Amos, Joel, and others pleaded with them to return to God, and they refused uh, consistently. And so they were finally conquered in 722 B.C. after a three year siege, okay? Old Testament 101 right here. But this is important for us when we get to the New Testament and look at some of the teaching of Jesus to see that the covenant with Israel is not a myth. It's a real thing that has real ramifications in human history, and we see it right here in the eviction and exile of the northern kingdom of 722 B.C. So the Assyrians came as the scourge of God, and uh, following their usual policy, great numbers of northern kingdom were uh, transported from the northern kingdoms and spread throughout all the uh, Assyrian Empire. So... The king of Israel, the final days, Second Kings, we just go a couple of these. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord. They all did, so this is nothing new. But it's unfortunately, Assyria came uh, to attack them, invaded the entire land, laid siege for three years, captured Samaria, deported the Israelites to Assyria, settled them all over the place. All right? They're gone. History here. You can see here the Assyrian Empire, how large it was, how far it extended. Another interesting thing to note about the height of the Assyrian Empire is that they spoke Aramaic. Okay, why is that important to us? It is important when we come to the New Testament. Okay, Aramaic eventually becomes the language of the Hebrew people and the language of Jesus Christ. You can see that it's a major language. This is, you know, before uh, Greeks took over, before the Romans, before the Greeks. So uh, Assyria, 
Syria here, empire, massive. All right? And the people of the northern kingdom were spread throughout this empire. And then Samaria was repopulated with Gentiles. This is what you do, right? It's just what everybody did in those days. <clears throat> do I have another one? Let's see what else I got. So this one here, you can see there's the two different exiles. The Assyrians took Israelites into captivity, and then in 586 BC, Nebuchadnezzar took the southern kingdom, Judah, into captivity. The only difference is in 70 years, Judah was allowed to return through some incredible, miraculous event, okay, which is worth looking into. But I just want you to see this movement of people and the distribution of Jews throughout the Mesopotamian world, okay? So why did this happen? How come this took place? All of this took place because. Now, because is what? It's a contingency. It's a reason, right? God's not unreasonable. God's not sitting up there going, I'm just going to punish you because I want to, right? There's a because. And this is important because there's ramification to sin that affects your life negatively. It, does, it didn't cease here, did it? You make bad decisions, you sin against God, there's negative ramifications to that. What do you say? So we've already seen this with Solomon, and this is a part of the, the downstream effect of Solomon's decision uh, that occurred here. But they sinned against the Lord, the one who brought them out of Egypt, the one who showed them the great power. And what did they do? They worship other gods. They were polytheistic. These are not mythical gods. These are not legends. These are legit spirits who live and who interact with humanity and require often human sacrifices and other uh, immoral practices. And it says, as well as the practices that the kings of Israel introduced. Now, did it, be, did it take place because they sinned like one time? No, the Lord warned them over hundreds of years. Are you with me? Warned them, sent prophets to them. God said to them, return from your evil ways, which is what? Repent. That's always the message of the prophets. Is it not? <laughs> Just go back to my commandments. Do what I tell you. It's not hard. Don't kill people. Don't steal. Don't lie. Don't cheat. Don't covet. Honor your parents, you know, keep sacred the, the, the Lord's day and put God number one. What's so hard about that? So he says, keep, just keep the commandments that I've given you uh, through my servants, the prophets. So the prophets have a duty to enforce the law. They're like the policemen of God's law. But I want you to see that God warned them over and over and over again, okay? And at some point, it, it comes to an end, and God has to uh, leave you to your own devices. Uh, 2 Kings 17, 14. But, but they wouldn't listen. They would not. They refused to. What was the problem here? Free will is the problem, isn't it? Human volition is the problem. God says, this is what I want you to do to be blessed. This is what's going to happen 
if you go your own way. There's a way which seems right to a man. The same is the way to death. If you want to experience that, you can do that. I'm advising you not to do that. I'm going to send you prophets. I'm going to warn you. I'm going to help you. But they're stiff neck, which means stiff of heart. They just wouldn't listen. And that's exactly what Jesus said when he wept over Jerusalem, when he came into town. He says, you know, I wanted to gather you under my wings, but I couldn't do it because you were not willing. All right? And in Acts chapter 7, when Stephen gives his great defense, you know, the history of Israel, what he said, you always resist the Holy Spirit. So that's a huge problem. What do you say? We have the ability to resist the Holy Spirit. We can quench the Holy Spirit. Uh, we can resist the will of God in our life, or we can humbly come before God and hopefully try to obey him as much as possible, right? So they rejected the covenant. What covenant? Which one? Sinai covenant. The Mosaic covenant. The one on Mount Sinai. The lease agreement. Right? They violated the lease agreement and the warnings that he had given them. So the Lord was angry and removed them. Only Judah was left, <clears throat> which is extremely incredible to me when you consider that the Messiah comes from the tribe of Judah, right? How impossible is that to even state that in this genealogy from Judah, there's going to be a person way over here that's going to come from Judah that's the Messiah. I mean, how impossible is to make that happen? You can't make that up. Are you with me? So Jesus doesn't come along and go, oh, I'm from some other family line. He is from that line. And they wrote this hundreds and hundreds of years before Christ, so you can't fabricate that. You understand what I'm saying? So... It's an impossibility, and the fact that only the, the tribe of Judah is left is just amazing uh, that that happened. So they persisted in sin. They wouldn't listen. The word of God didn't mean anything to them. So the Lord removed them from his presence. Isn't that the same thing that happened to Cain? If you want to go out from the presence of God, you can do that. Who's going to stop you? Nobody's going to stop you. Do whatever you want. You can go to church if you want. You can praise the Lord if you want. You can give your heart to Jesus if you want. God's grace is there to help you. God's grace is there to call you. God wants you to repent. That's always the message. You cannot mock God. God cannot be deceived. What do you say? God is not mocked. So the Lord removed them from his presence as he warned through all his servants the prophets, and as he warned through Moses. So the people of Israel were taken from their homeland into exile in Assyria, and they are what? Still there. And then what happened? The king of Assyria brought people from Babylon, different places, settled them in the towns of Samaria to replace the Israelites. So they took over Samaria and lived in its towns. These are the... Uh, ancestors of the Samaritans, which in the New Testament, did the Jews love the Samaritans? No, they hated the Samaritans. So they were a mixed race. Not all Jews left Northern Kingdom at this time. Some of them still remain there and intermarried with them. 
Whew. So now you have this mixed race of Gentiles and whatever leftover Jews that were living in Samaria taken over by the king of Assyria, and their language is Aramaic language. So God sent prophets. One of the prophets is Hosea. Hosea is considered the greatest prophet to the northern kingdom, ministry around 760 B.C., and he is the last prophet before Israel's fall. And he pleaded with the people to turn to God. It's only 14 chapters. Well worth reading. If you need some casual reading, I would suggest that you go through that. It will help you get a feel for the period and some of the heart of God uh, for his people in the northern kingdom. Hosea says, because of their sinful deeds, I will drive them out of my house. Now, is he making that up? No, that's embedded in the covenant with Sinai. That's a part of the lease agreement. I'll drive them out of my house. It's like, you know, you don't pay rent, you abuse the property, I'll evict you. It's an eviction notice. It's that simple. Uh, Hosea 11.5.6 Will they not return to Egypt? Will not Assyria rule over them? Because what? Because what? They refuse to repent. There's a because. It's a condition. There's a reason. God is not unconditional. Swords will flash in their cities. Their bars and gates are destroyed. I'm going to put an end to their plans, which is pretty harsh. But this is all Mosaic covenant, broken covenant language, swords and armies and put an end, and all that verbiage is a part of the negative side of the Mosaic Covenant. And we want to remember this when we finally get past the genealogies. We'll see this language in the teachings of Jesus. So the prophets are the mediators or spokespeople for, for God. They're like the policemen. For, for God. They announced God's intention to enforce the agreement of the Mosaic Covenant. God spoke to Israel through prophets. They re- announced God's intentions to enforce the agreement. Now, there's, like I said, there's two sides to it, right? Uh, there's a good side and a bad side. <clears throat> and these 10 tribes were evicted from the promised land according to the covenant, as I said before. And the destruction of the northern kingdom of Israel is history. Did God mean it when he said it? Is God's word true? Can you make this up? No. Let's go back to Deuteronomy then, and I suggest that at some point you read 28, 29, and 30, because it's the the meat of the covenant. Obviously, he starts out by telling you all the blessings that will come by obeying God, and those blessings are still for us to receive today, are they not? But he says, look it, this is the lease agreement. The Lord will send on you curses, confusion, and rebuke in everything you put your hand to until you are destroyed and come to sudden ruin. Why? Because God's mean and bad? No, because the evil you've done in forsaking him. All right? There's a reason for that. What's going to happen? He says, the Lord's going to bring a nation against you from far away, like an eagle. People's language you don't understand. What are they going to do? 
and lay siege to all your cities. Now, please remember that this is on Mount Sinai before they wander for 40 years and enter into the land of Canaan, so they don't even have a city yet. Okay, are you understand what I'm saying? In terms of chronology. So this is looking ahead to when they are established in Israel and when they build cities. He says, even though you get established and you build all these cities, if you uh, disobey God's you know, commandments, I'm going to send a nation against you and they're going to siege all your cities and all your high fortified walls in which you trust and throughout your entire land, all of them. Okay, is that good news or bad news? That's broken covenant language. Okay, this is not blessing language. It's not the happy side of the covenant. And then the nations are going to ask the big why question. Why did all this happen? Why has the Lord done this? It's not that the Lord has done it. You've done it to yourself, right? Did it need to happen? Did not need to happen at all, ever. Why this fierce burning anger? It is because. Now, because is what? It's a condition, right? It's because of your behaviors, because of the people, it's because of your decisions. It's because you abandoned what? The covenant. Which covenant? The Mosaic covenant that the Lord made, the covenant he made with them when he brought them out of Egypt up into Mount Sinai to get it. And what did they do? They went off and worshipped other gods, bowed down to them, gods they didn't know, gods he hadn't given them. Then the, the Lord's anger burned against the land, so he brought against all the curses. Written in what? Book. Which book? Book of Moses, the Pentateuch, the Torah, the first five. The Lord did what? He uprooted them from their land and thrust them into another land. Now, this is before they even occupy the promised land. So this is the agreement. This is the lease, lease option, right? And the fact of it is that this was fulfilled to the last dot, okay? The last drop, the uprooting from the land and thrust into another land. Can you imagine? How, how even likely is that to happen? How amazing is the Bible? How incredible that we have this record before us and that God says what he says and does what he does. Now, the fall of Samaria, 722 B.C., happened. Oh, we got another one. There's more. No, wait, there's more behind door number three. In spite of these things, if you do not accept my correction and you continue to be hostile to me, I'll bring the sword. I want you to memorize this, that when he says, I bring the sword, who brings the sword? Who's talking here? The Lord God says, I will bring the sword. Okay? Are you going to remember that? Remember that? God says, I will bring the sword upon you because you broke the covenant. You'll be given into enemy hands. All right? 
That is bad news. There's more bad news. I'll cut off your bread, which means there's famine. I'll turn your cities into ruins. And check this out. Lay waste your sanctuaries. What are sanctuaries? They're holy places, right? They didn't even have a holy place yet. They don't even have a city yet. They're not even in the country yet. They're still they're going to have 40 years of wandering, and they got the conquest they still got to do, right? I'm going to lay waste the land. I'll scatter you among the nations. My sword, your cities will be in ruin. Is God actually going to do that? He sends an army to do that, right? When he says, I'm going to do this, I'm going to bring my sword, you never see God with his sword coming to do it. He says, I'm going to bring an army to do it, right? I'm going to protect you. I'm going to protect your borders. I'm going to protect everything about you. All I need you to do is be good. <laughs> Why is that so hard? Love one another, be honest, treat each one fairly. Your crops will be blessed, your family will be blessed. Be a blessing to one another, love each other. Why can't we all just get along, right? If not, I'm going to leave you to your own devices. You can have whatever you want. You can't have whatever you want, right? You want to be blessed, here's how you be blessed. You don't want to be blessed, here's how you don't be blessed. Make the choice, choose life, choose death. I will scatter you. It's my sword. Whose sword? Now, we're going to come back to this some point in the future. And I want you to see that it's God who says, it's my sword. It's God who says, I'll scatter. And it's God who says that I will turn your sanctuaries, your temples into ruins. Okay? So it's God himself who preaches against the temple and predicts the destruction of temples and sanctuaries. All right? So... The northern kings, as we said, every one of them wicked, all polytheistic. We have no understanding of the depravity and the sickness of polytheism. It's not a part of our culture. But it's, you do any study on it, it's, you know, it's perverted, sexually perverted, immoral, child sacrifice, sick. Their whole lives are arranged around that. So the eviction is the fulfillment of the cursed side of the covenant. The Syrians came, they had an unstoppable army. They destroyed the capital, carried away prisoners to the land of Assyria, which is right now modern-day Iraq. And the eviction was in agreement with the contract. You don't need a prophet to know the future outcome of disobedience. Okay? Anybody could look at that and go, wow, you're heading for trouble. Right? Those are bad decisions. You don't even have to be uh, very smart to know that. And so the interesting thing about the northern tribes is that they were evicted without any promise of return. It's for your own edification. And then it was resettled by the Assyrian Empire because of their sustained disobedience to God's covenant law. He sent them into captivity. And they've been known in history as the lost tribes of the house of Israel. They're called lost tribes because no one knows what happened to them. Uh, however, some, of the, some estimates from that one-fifth of the population, about 40,000, were actually resettled out, which is to say that when they, when they brought in the new settlement, there's still pockets of uh, Israel, Israelites living in that area, which intermingled. they intermingled anyway, didn't they? all the time, so they just got blended in there. 
so the genealogy that begins with Abraham uh, follows down through the lineage of King David, leading to Jesus the Messiah of the tribe of Judah, which is seems almost impossible. I mean, if he said he's going to come from the tribe of Manasseh or something, you know what I'm saying? Well, that's the end of that prophecy. I mean, how, I, I just, I, you know, I'm trying to think about how impossible it is that all of this could happen, you know, according to, because it, it's written down hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus isn't, didn't, before he came, right? So it's not even like, well, he wrote this in 100 AD and backtracked and corrected everything so that the Messiah comes from the tribe of Judah. No, they're telling you he's coming from the tribe of Judah. The whole northern kingdom loses its mind. The, the southern kingdom is destroyed but brought back you know, after 70 years, which is incredible. And then they eat that in existence until the time of Christ, and then what? You know, they got their second eviction notice. Whew. So the southern kingdom, just briefly, before we get there, Josephus, who we said lived just uh, beyond the edge of the life of Christ, priest, general, historian, patriot, in his retelling of the history of the Jews and the antiquities of the Jews, reminds them at his time when he lived, the ten tribes are still beyond the, uh, the Euphrates and are an immense multitude. They've been spread throughout the world. And can you imagine, again, that uh, this huge division uh, resulted over this revolt against higher taxation. <clears throat> so in the southern kingdom, there were some attempts to drain the swamp. Okay, you have a few kings that were halfway decent, tear down the high places, remove idols, try to get people to uh, obey the word of God. Swamp monster came back, tried to drain the swamp again. Five good kings back and forth, up and down like a roller coaster, till a swamp monster devoured them. Evil is relentless. Evil does not sleep. And yet the Messiah comes. Hallelujah. Promise of God. God made a promise. Here's an interesting thing about the Babylonian captivity. Huh? Out of the mouth of babes. <sighs> so the southern kingdom lasted about 340 years from the split to the Babylonian captivity, which we find in Matthew 1.11. And they survived the northern kingdom by 135 years, which is not much. Right? Not a long time. So, Jeremiah, listen to this, right? Prophet to the southern kingdom during this time. He says, you have not listened to my words. I'm going to summon all the peoples of the north and my servant Nebuchadnezzar. I'm going to bring them against this land, its inhabitants. I completely destroy them, make you an object of horror and scorn, and everlasting ruin. I mean, they have a they have a case study, don't they, in Samaria? 
you would think that they would be able to put these two things together and say, look at the negative ramifications of disobeying God. Look what happened to the northern kingdom. Let's not do that. Right? But no. Mm-mm. Not going to happen. So he says, I'm going to banish them. Banish from them joy and happiness. Lie the lamp. The whole country will become desolate. And they're going to serve the king of Babylon 70 years. Now think about that just for a moment. Okay? Jerusalem is a nation. It's got a fortified city, numerous cities. It's got an army. It's got people. Uh, first of all, they're saying, your city is going to be destroyed. What are they thinking? Nah, it ain't going to be destroyed. You can't destroy my city, right? And not, not only does he say you're going to be completely destroyed, but then he says in 70 years, you're going to serve the king of Babylon. And when you put a marker down like that, how easy is it to be wrong? Wait, one, they're going to destroy the temple, they're going to destroy the city, they're going to take us captive, they're going to exile us. No, that ain't going to happen, right? And then you're going to come back after 70 years of captivity. How easily could you be wrong about both of those things? Right? It's Nebuchadnezzar. It's not Nebuchadnezzar's son. It's not Nebuchadnezzar's great-great-granddaughter, right? We know who's going to do it. We know how he's going to do it, when it's going to happen, how long you'll be in captivity and you'll come back again. You can't make that up. That's impossible. But this is a little ray of hope for the tribe of Judah, isn't it? When the 70 years are fulfilled, I'll punish the king of Babylon and punish his, his nation, the land, for their guilt, make it desolate. And I'll bring upon that land all the things I've spoken against it, all the things that are written in this book and prophesied by Jeremiah against the nations. Wow. Pretty awesome, huh? And then what's going to happen? It says, when the 70 years are completed... I'm going to come and fulfill my promises and bring you back to this place. Because look at this word. We love this verse, don't we? 29.11. For I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you, to give you hope. Then you'll call upon me and I'll listen to you. Look at poor little God. You know what I'm saying? What does he want? He wants to bless you. He wants to bless your life. He wants to be a positive influence in your life. He wants everything good for you. He wants to protect you from harm. He wants you to have a future and a hope. And just to be able to calm and pray. And he says, you know, I'll listen to you. Unbelievable, isn't it? Then you'll seek me. You'll find me. I'll gather you from the nations, bring you back from captivity, from all the places I banished you, and bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. This is amazing prophecy. I mean, how could this possibly be fulfilled? After you've been taken off captive, to a foreign country in Babylon, what are the chances that you're actually going to be able to come back and resettle in Israel? Zero. It's going to take an enormous miracle of God to make this happen. But what we want to see here, ladies and gentlemen, is the call to repentance 
is the consistent prophetic message. The prophetic prediction of the destruction of cities and temples and finally eviction from the land of Israel is simply the enforcement of the agreement made at Mount Sinai. So when Jesus comes preaching repentance and the destruction of the temple, it's old news that's already been rooted in the Mosaic Covenant. Are you with me? So when Jesus comes, we're going to see a lot of this same prophetic language in his teaching. You look at the parable of the vineyard owner, the wedding feast, the talents, the ten virgins, the two sons. There's so many of the parables of the teachings of Jesus that are all directly related to this exact same prophetic theme. You violated the law of Moses. There's nothing left for you except trouble. Right? Matthew 24, not one stone will be left upon another. They go, oh, Jesus couldn't have known that. So therefore, Matthew must be written later than the destruction of the temple in AD 70. It's like, no, that's in Moses. It's been preached any number of times for thousands of years prior to him, and you have evidence of this in the Old Testament. So all Jesus is doing is saying, hey, I've come to fulfill law and prophets every last little drop. <sighs> Not good news. The good news is that we can repent and that we can get right with God. We can turn away from evil. We can return. Amen? When Jesus comes, he says what? Repent. The kingdom of heaven is near. Same prophetic message. But then he says this, come follow me, right? The prophets say, go follow God. Jesus says, follow me. It's a divine claim. And they left him, and they left their nets and followed him. It's important for us today to realize, or help hopefully realize, just how amazing the Bible is, how incredible it is it survives for so long that the Messiah actually comes from David and is traceable and it's recorded for us and that the covenant uh, that endured until the time of Christ uh, is going to be filled, fulfilled uh, in AD 70 exactly as he predicted and it gives us just another opportunity to realize how important it is for us to follow God faithfully. What do you say? And to take every opportunity to serve the Lord and make him known and to bear fruit. So let's pray, shall we? Father, we just thank you so much for your amazing word. I just can't believe, Lord, that we can read materials from thousands of years ago and see the fulfillment of so much prophecies and promises that are impossible to happen. Lord, and that you've included us in your history. You've scripted us into your story through Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, for calling us to come follow you. And, Lord, we want to do that. We want to be faithful, good and faithful servants. We want to be fruit-bearing. We want to make you known. We want to build your church. And so, Lord, we're thankful for this day, this moment, that we can declare you to be our Savior and Lord. 
and just ask your favor to be poured out upon us, Lord, that we can be a blessing to the nations. In Jesus' name, amen. The prophetic message has always been to repent, which means to turn around, come back, follow Jesus, come to Jesus. If you've never done that, or if you've got things that you should be repenting of, God is not mocked. God is not deceived. It's the same old, same old. Satan doesn't need to do anything different than what he's ever done since the dawn of time. You want to follow God with a pure heart, a pure mind, clean hands, clean heart. And we want to put our hand to the plow. We want to plow straight furrows. We want to plant seed. We want to see a great harvest. Amen. Let's just worship him right now. And if there's anything in your heart that you need to remove, you want God to remove that for you, this is a good time to come before him and seek him.
Blessing and honor, strength. 
that we can come here to worship you, Lord, and to learn about uh, what your word says. Thank you, God, that um, our pastor is so well studied, Lord, that we can um, look in the parts of Matthew that we might just gloss over and then learn so much from the Old Testament, Lord. Thank you also that uh, Kurt reminds us these warnings are there, Lord, that there are consequences to sin, consequences that could not just affect our own life, but generations and a whole people, Lord. Let us just take that into account, Lord, and let us also pray, Lord, for our own country, that our country would repent, Lord, of the things that they think are okay, Lord. And let us just... um. Let us just really remember these warnings, Lord, not just to gloss over or be like, oh, I'm forgiven, so everything's okay. But let us just remember, Lord, you are holy, God. You want us to turn from our way, or from these evil ways, Lord. You want us to be strong in our faith and also tell other people like the prophets, God, that they need to turn from their ways, Lord, the people who are practicing evil. God, thank you so much for this day, and thank you, Lord, for Pastor Kurt and for everybody here. Bless everybody today, Lord, as they enjoy their Sunday. In Jesus' name, amen.